Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Jackie, take it away. When a cold wind blows, it chills you, chills you to the bone. Is that what you expect me to sing? But there's nothing in nature that freezes as hard like he is a man alone. You're doing a medley. you with indifference (laughs) like a lady paints with rouge. And the worst of the worst, the most hated and cursed is the one that we call Scrooge. Give it a real pirate edge. (laughs) Oh, yes. I think that uh, Muppet Christmas Carol might be uh, the most annoying thing to watch with me in the entire world, I, I gave a preface. I gave a preface to my roommates before we watched it. I was like, I will sing this entire movie. I will scream every word. And so what I did was first I watched it alone. And then I watched it with other people. <laughs> welcome, welcome to the Muppet Christmas Carol Pop History episode. I'm very excited. This, this is a Browski. This is a Zabrowski stronghold. This is yes. the, uh, the, the heart of... The hearth of our Christmas home. And actually, what the things that we are going to talk about today, when we get into Paul Williams, we get into everything with this movie. I wanted to do this last year, but we did, and I loved doing Scrooge last year. But I remember reading the article about Paul Williams after we did the Scrooge episode. It's like, fuck. Oh, now I really want to do the Muppet Christmas Carol episode. So this yes. is a year in the making, and I love every bit of the making of this movie down to the fact that, I mean, we all know this year when love was found again, and we've got so much to talk about. How do you guys, I also, I'm going to throw this out there. I'm going to start this with, I have a sibling, not my brother, who hates the Muppets. So (laughs) it's always been a very difficult part of growing up. Who hates the Muppets? What other siblings does she have? My sister hates the Muppets. Know, right? And yes, Jessica, I'm throwing you under the bus right now because Please. she hates hey, the she's Muppets. Owning it, That's man. crazy. And every time we would say, and then Henry and I would sing the songs even louder because she would just talk about how much she hates the Muppets. And then we'd be like, we hate you. And it would be what's a lot of reasoning? that. Okay, like, what, I feel her? like I know. I feel like I know. Because she's a bit older than you guys. So when you guys came into the scene, she was already growing into teen years. And I think because it was the little kids thing in the house, she immediately as a teenager must hate it no matter what. There's definitely that. But also she's very scared of puppets. And I do (laughs) understand that. I get that part of it. 
But I think it's because I think Poltergeist ruined her as a, a child. Sweet, I not get a fan it. of Sweetums. Doesn't uh, like I any. She doesn't like any of them. I <laughs> I get it. Poltergeist now. did not ruin puppets for me. Didn't no, it didn't ruin puppets but for I, me. I, as, I'm still Poltergeist is probably my favorite movie of all time. Ah, but great. she also is not a big then. fan of horror movies. You know, it's yeah. like, there's a lot of things. She's very different from us in many many ways. And people are always like, oh, you never talk about your sister. Well, my sister hates the Muppets. I've never met someone who hates <laughs> the Muppets. Back in college, by the way, I love that because back in college, my buddy Fed uh, uh, hated the Beatles, which I feel like is not that hot of a take anymore, really. But I was, it was college, especially like everyone. But was also, like an Fed idiot about was in like the music scene, like the indie yeah. music so scene. Like I would I introduce I him at, at every, right. I completely I get, understand. I get but, it. But in college, like I would introduce him as like, hey. Uh, let's say like Ryan, this is my buddy Fed. Fed hates the Beatles, and I would just walk away, and literally like an hour later, I I just hear in the corner of my ear, but what about the White Album? You know I was just going like, to say, but what about the? I knew it was, but what about the White <laughs> Album? It's always oh the same thing. But I do. I, I'm sorry, Jessica, that I immediately threw you under the bus. But I, I mean, y'all know how I feel about not only the Muppets, but the Muppet Christmas Carol specifically. I. Talk about a continuation from last week's uh, episode on Charlie Brown Christmas. This is something that doesn't hold children's hands. I like that it's creepy. Mm -hmm. I like that originally there is a love song in it. I like that it doesn't <laughs> because originally and we'll, we'll get into when they first started writing the script. This was going to be a silly romp. They wanted to make a fun crazy version of the Muppets doing the Muppet Christmas Carol. And then essentially Brian Henson was like, fuck that. The, the Christmas, Christmas Carol is a creepy story. What a yes. radical thing to have to do to a man to, for him to not try to kill all the poor people. But not, you know? but not only that, it's like the Henson legacy too. When we were talking about Charlie Brown really addressing childhood um psychology and 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 addressing kids not speaking down to them that's definitely something Jim Henson's always implemented in yes mm -hmm. in his stories and that that definitely plays in like Christmas Carol doesn't feel like it's pandering to kids they talk about death in it you know Yes, because that's what the story is. <laughs> the story is about yes. dying. Yeah, I uh, I actually really like this quote from Frank Oz about um, Paul Williams and uh, Jim Henson and their relationship. Paul Williams, of course, wrote the songs for the movie, um, as well as Rainbow Connection in the original. Oh, Muppet that's movie. my favorite. I think it's it's his simplicity and his heart and purity. And where it comes from for Jim is the purity of intent, the purity of character, not being afraid of sweetness, not pejorative sweetness, not real, actual, valuable sweetness. Jim was that, and Paul is too. They're able to be sweet without being saccharine. Jim hated being cute and hated saccharine. He hated faux sentimentality. What we got from Paul was exactly the reverse of that, exactly what Jim wanted. He and Jim somehow just con connected. They just did. I don't know how many times he worked with Paul, but every time it always felt like he was part of the family. So I, I do like that. I love that. I also love, which I kept reading again and again in different <laughs> interviews of how much they hated Bean Bunny and how much they loved to hate him, which is why they incorporated being the bunny. He's yeah. the one that's singing, you know, Good King Wenceslas. I never know how to say it. Um, the cute one that gets the turkey in the end. And they made that Muppet to be 
so saccharine cute that you hated him. And but what about and, the Mises? Oh, no I, cheeses for us, Mises. <laughs> they're How so adorable. Those sweet, little dude. finger puppets, too, which makes a lot of sense. They were just little finger guys that someone's hand went up through a wall. They're so inventive with how they built the world in this movie. True. We'll talk about it time and time again about how terrified Michael Caine was on the set because <laughs> the humans had to just walk along planks of wood without looking down because they were the ones lifted up in the air so the puppeteers could be under the floor. And that's so crazy. That's such an interesting way of how they used perspective in this movie to hide things. And, and now that in watching it this year, I first watched it I watched it for the first time with the eye of how are they doing all of this and how did they choreograph all of this and how difficult that must have been. And it was. Also, th that how good it was that you've never thought about it before. Never because, thought about it. Because that is the the trick is trying to yes. make it so that you're not thinking about how they yeah. made all these things happen. You're just like it's, you're you yourself are uh, what's it called? Having a immersed in it, immersion. Um, yeah, yeah. Like you're. Uh, I forget the fucking oh, it's like, term. Like what about Bob? What about Bob? Also directed by Frank Oz, but we're not going to get into that right now. Crazy. That blew my mind. Where has my brain been? The same Frank Oz is the Frank Oz of the Muppets that directed a million movies that you love. What? It hurt my brain. Why have I never thought about this before? But let's. I think that have you guys have you got I feel like I'm just going to keep gushing and I will just keep gushing. Uh, yeah, so should I'll we just say jump? For, for me, I super loved this movie when it came out. I think I saw it in the theater and I just I'm a huge, huge fan of the Muppets. We did also to a good uh, brother episode to this episode by BR uh, was in the Bruiser two parter on the Muppets as well to give you more of a background. And I kind of love it too, because I don't think we really went in deep at all on Christmas Carol. So this is a really nice getting to go back and really explore this film. And uh, just coming up through, I think I really rediscovered it though, honestly, because of Jackie and I do have a memory of you bringing the VHS to the apartment I shared with Ben Kissel in uh, Williamsburg, Brooklyn. And we got really drunk and really high and, and watch that film. Bringing a bunch of, a little insane. tiny bit of innocence into your filthy debauchery. Filthy existence <laughs> that we were living in. There was a woman being just absolutely ravaged in one of the bedrooms. I remember her yes, howls which during. is a great second soundtrack to Paul Williams' beautiful <laughs> soundtrack. I'm so disappointed. So much disappointment in that apartment. Uh, but um, Muppet Christmas Carol still it really it still makes me I cry every time I watch it. I cry every yeah, single time. I cried last night watching it. And so funny. I was talking before the show. Now I just cry the second I see Tiny Tim because and it's so funny because he doesn't even spoiler alert. It's like, spoiler you know, it's very it's like Tiny Tim who did not die. Who and it's like, I know die. he's not going to die. Oh, but, he's but I still... always cry during the tis the season to be jolly and yes. joyous. Yes. Ba -la -la. I love. Yeah. Oh. Well, oh, you know, so I, gotta, and then, I gotta, the time I cried and I gotta give a big fuck you very much to Holden was he directed me to go to Jim Henson's funeral, no. which yes. was during this we'll time talk period. About that. And I went down a rabbit <laughs> hole so of videos of his that. funeral. No. Yes. Um, if you want a good cry, definitely watch Big Bird singing Be in Green. 
at Jim Henson's funeral. At the very end, he literally says, bye, Kermit. And it is the saddest Stop. thing ever. I'm going to start crying. crying right now. Stop. It is yeah. so he wonderfully sad. loved and the then all of on the river. A bunch of the Muppets <laughs> come out uh, and sing a medley. And it's first it's just the guys doing the medley. And then they bring all of the characters out, too. And the characters uh-huh. come out and sing a song. It's... Oh, it's upsetting. (laughs) It's very upsetting. It's so sad. I cried in the middle of the day at work uh, when I first saw that. It was a lot of fun. But I needed to cry (laughs) at at that point in my day. Uh, But either way, I mean, I think it's time to jump right the fuck in. The water is nice and toasty, and we got to get in there. Uh, Yes, A Muppet's Christmas Carol, a 1992 American musical fantasy comedy film directed by Brian Henson, Jim Henson's son. It is the first film to be produced following the death of Jim Henson, as well as performer Richard Hunt, who was the puppeteer of Scooter, Janice, Statler, Beaker, Sweetums, and several other Muppets. The movie is adapted from the 1843 novella A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens and stars Michael Caine as Ebenezer Scrooge alongside Muppet performers Dave Goles, Steve Whitmire, Jerry Nelson, and Frank Oz. Um, What's funny is I essentially just kind of copy and pasted the Christmas Carol bit that I had uh, from the Scrooged episode. I love that this is the second piece of media in one year that we are covering that is adapted from it won't Charles be the Dickens' last. classic. Well, it will be the last for this year. But we are aware of A Christmas Carol. Also, if you haven't read it, it's really short, and you should totally read it, because uh, it is creepy. It's very it, it, it's a creepy little yeah. story. Sure. Well, and I think what's interesting about this bit that I will not read verbatim because I said it out loud in the Scrooge episode is just that he started out well-to-do as a child. His family, at least, was well-to-do. He was not a child billionaire because that only happens in cartoons. That would be but sick. He started out uh, well, in a well-to-do family, but then they had a big downturn. At the age of 12, he ended up uh, essentially just like working, working in a shoe polish warehouse and just like... Immediately went from comfort and nice living to total poverty. And he has this this really strong memory of all of the people and places and events that happened around him in his life. And uh, yeah, started writing. And it was Oliver Twist, of course, the story of the what is the orphan, right? Or whatever. And he's all all like, orphans. Do you think the shoe polish? Fumes helped him, right? Yeah. Maybe made him trip, oh, yeah. it up, trip out. He was like, that's why there's a dragon at the end of the novella. But either way, this <laughs> no, 1843, not. by the way, was when this was written. And uh, yeah, Carol was based on a, 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 a Christmas Carol. A Christmas Carol in prose being a ghost story of Christmas, by the way, is the full title. Uh, it was based on a trip to Manchester and the conditions of the manufacturing workers there. So he set up to, quote, strike a sledgehammer blow for the poor, and that, while writing the book, he wept and laughed and wept again, which is honestly my experience watching Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, so yes. I, and it was know, written... I think that that's perfect. It was written in only six weeks, and it what, the book was sold out by Christmas because the, the publishers didn't believe in him, so he paid for A Christmas Carol to be produced, and it was sold out by Christmas. And something that I didn't realize from the last time when we did Scrooge is that Tiny, well, obviously, Tiny Tim is actually based on a combination of two real people in Charles Dickens' mm. life. It's based on his sickly younger brother, who was named mm. Tiny Fred. And Ooh. his Tiny nephew, Fred. Tiny Fred is such a cute Tiny name. Fred, that's what I called my cock in elementary school. Oh, <laughs> call it Tiny Fred. Now I hope you think about your little dick with a little crutch, <laughs> and it's dead. 
Tiny Fred is dead. All right. What's the other? Everyone's dead who we're talking about. His <laughs> nephew. Book, his, the book was written in the 1800s. They're all dead, Jackie. They're all dead. But who's the other dead person that's based Tiny off Tim of? was an amalgamation of Tiny Fred as well as his nephew, Henry Burnett Jr., who was okay. disabled. So he mixed the two. And so he wanted, because he wanted to bring, how would he write about someone who he actually knew that could die if they had no money. And that's very sad. Think of his little crutch. Oh, God, the crutch so is tiny. so small in his little hat. Little crutch is what I call my dick. In no. <laughs> but either that's a way, stand. yes, that is very sad. And I just think it's important to talk about the class divide that Dickens faced throughout his childhood and into adulthood. It plays such a huge part in this. And just the way that, you know, the rich can be so fucking greedy and the poor can be so wonderfully... Uh, selfless in these interesting ways and that really puts things in perspective. You fucking rich uh. fucks. I'm talking to you, McConnell. Oh, but either way. Creates a, they finally, we the get community. to talk about him. No, not in Muppet <laughs> Christmas Carol. Banish it. You're not allowed house, to say the name again. It's in house and it's in uh, Tiny Friends Keep talking house. about my favorite Christmas movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, before we get to talking about specifically Jackie's favorite ever Christmas movie, I do think it's important to give just a brief little rundown of where the Muppets, uh, the Muppets timeline and how we got to where we got to with Jim Henson's son taking the helm and directing it um, posthumously after Jim Henson's motherfucker death, brah. No. So here we go. Jim Henson's childhood was forever changed when his family got a television set. While his grandmother at the same time was an avid painter, quilter, and needleworker and encouraged him to use his imagination. In high school, he created puppets for a Saturday morning children's show. And at college, he did a puppet show for the local TV station called Sam and Friends. This is where we're going to get the initial development of the Muppets. We saw, and actually, we saw, Henry and I went to... Um the uh, I know what you went to in New York. No, the, it's in Atlanta. Or, There's actually oh, it's. Okay. I, I'm so sorry. I'm blanking on the name, but it's the basically the National Puppet Museum is in Atlanta, oh, cool. and we got to go to a Jim Henson uh, exhibition that was there, and it was unbelievable. And we got to see they had the original puppets like that he did when he was younger. And I will say, I get how people become creeped out by puppets, especially older puppets. <laughs> but yes. I would say. For older puppets, they're not as creepy as other old puppets. Yeah, he kind of already was working in. I don't understand why like people got Kermit. so weird. Why people got so weird with puppets? Like, like he kind of figured unlocked the key. It's like just make them look inviting on any level <laughs> by giving them felt and making them soft. And I know. Curved. Well, something he was tapped into that somehow even early on because his older puppets aren't as creepy as you would imagine they would be. Well, and also I think that's why he made Kermit the way he did where Kermit has no stuffing in his head so yeah. that he could use his hand to create actual emotions on his face. Yeah. I think yes, that is exactly. something that people get creeped out by puppets is the fact that you can't see their face emoting. Right. Their cold, dead eyes. Right. Yeah, yeah, I, I, think I that get might it. Going I get like, it. I love you. Can I live in your house? So, no. so he's working on this. He's working on this TV show called Sam and Friends, and uh, he pulls in Jane Neville, who he met in college to become his assistant, and later his wife. And Ooh, together they have five children. Into a lot more. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Little one of Fred. which, uh, one of those kids is Brian Henson, and he was kind of checked out as a dad. By the way, this is the 
weird mark we hit in the Muppets episode was he was so busy pleasing all of the children of the world that he sort of neglected the five right in front of him. My so standards are lo- so low that if he didn't touch anyone, I'm just like, fine, you know, that's right. all I'm asking and I'm for. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure he didn't. No. And, and, you know, really all that meant was if you wanted to hang out with daddy, you kind of had to like work. Get into daddy. daddy's yeah. business. Haven't you seen the Santa Claus? That's how it goes. If you're <laughs> going to give happiness to millions of people around the world, how are you supposed to keep your own kids happy? Who's got that kind of time? Not me. So Sam and Friends starts out with the puppets doing a lot of sing-alongs to popular songs of the day. And eventually they started working in those sketches and parodies that the Muppets would later become super known for. Also, the word Muppet gets coined at this time. It's a mix of the words marionette and puppet. And uh, after an inspiring hiatus in Europe, where he got to see a lot of like French puppetry and that sort of thing, Henson and his creation Kermit began making appearances on shows like The Ed Sullivan Show and The Jack Parr Program. While Rolf actually was the first big hit for him, he became a sidekick on The Jimmy Dean Show, a regular reoccurring character that would come back on and on. So actually, weirdly enough, everyone thinks Kermit first when it comes to Muppets was really Rolf, the... uh, the uh, piano playing but dog. But I will say Rolf was, looks, his original Rolf looks yeah, nothing like the current Rolf, very, I will Very say different, that. for yeah. sure. So Jane eventually has to, I don't know, like become a full-time mom because Henson's too busy doing all this other stuff. So she is replaced by Frank Oz and Jerry Jewell. And Sesame Street debuts in 1966. And then there's this weird thing about Saturday Night Live. Everyone should watch the first season of Saturday Night Live. It is the fucking weirdest thing ever. Yes. And part of that is because Henson brought his... Uh, Muppets, some not like the Muppets we know, but he brought these his Muppets to dirty SNL. late night Muppets. <laughs> yeah, it was really, but they weren't. And like I, Michael O'Donohue uh, classically said, I don't write for felt, and uh, and they hated the presence of those Muppets. They were a weird fit for what that show was yeah. and eventually became. I get so, it, but also like expand your brain space, bro. Figure right. it out. I don't write for felt. And Henson's wrestling with this right now because he doesn't want his thing to just be a kid's thing. He's always trying to separate, you know, because Sesame Street's a big hit. He's got the child market down and later, of course, with Fraggle Rock. But he really wants to do like a more adult themed show. So he puts out two TV specials, one called The Muppets Valentine Show and another called The Muppet Show Sex and Sex Violence. Sex and Violence. <laughs> and this airs on ABC as a sort of pilot. But wait, networks what? weren't convinced. Yeah, seriously. Wait, yeah, yeah. wait, wait, Muppets, wait. The, the Muppets, sex and violence. Yeah, yeah. What? Are you lying? <laughs> no, not at all. That's That was the first of two specials that were like pilots. And again, it was just him being like, it's for adults. I think that was just him forcing the the issue to like not have any confusion here. Like, I'm making this uh, for adults. I don't so, know that I've ever heard that fact before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've Ugh. never seen those specials. I want to go back and watch those specials. What happens but- in the special? I'd have, Again, I'd, I'd, I'd I just my problem is it. I have Meet the Feebles yeah, in my exactly. brain. Like, and I, I, meet the I only ever think about Meet the Feebles, and Meet the Feebles is a very difficult movie to find. I think it is. I'm going to say in my top ten favorite movies, but it is. Yeah, uh, that's what it. I think about. We last right. time we streamed it, it was on something weird, and it was really low uh, quality. It's hard to find. Streaming. Yeah, it's hard. So. 
so he's unable to convince networks. He ends up moving to England, and that's why a lot. That's why he has such strong ties to British production companies. Oh, and when all the this Lord sort of Lou Grade came in, that's his name, Lord <laughs> Lou. When Lord Lou came in as the London-based television producer, that finally gave him the money because uh, Jim Henson just realized uh, maybe America doesn't understand what I'm trying to do here. What I'm laying down, yeah, absolutely, and that is exactly the truth. And so the show first airs in England um, as The Muppet Show in 1976 and eventually makes its way to America to great success as we now know it. Uh, after that, of course, came the films, The Muppet Movie, which was a huge hit. I mean, and is phenomenal. And as the song Rainbow Connection, written by the guy who wrote all those awesome songs in Muppet Christmas Carol, as well as The Great Muppet Caper, Muppets Take Manhattan. Man, um, also Disney Plus... Disney Plus is so smart because I'm so excited because, again, I pay for Disney Plus. I don't use it very often. I'm trying to watch it more. And I was like, oh, it's great because Muppet Christmas Carol, throwing out there, is on Disney Plus right now. But they're so smart because they own all the Muppets. So they don't yeah. put all the Muppet movies on there at all times. They, like phase them well, in that's and what, out. That's one of their fucking, that's when they do From the, the Vaults. Vault. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're overlords. Oh, they own us. It's true, but I do love Disney Plus and they have a great show about the behind the scenes of the Animal Kingdom. And, but uh, I want to see Muppets Take Manhattan. I want to be able to watch Muppets, Muppets Take Manhattan, Manhattan whenever I want. That's the best, the best one. one. I just but said also, it. Muppet Movie is on there, which is delightful. Hard disagree. I think the Muppet Movie is the best one. Absolutely this, not. You both are wrong. Muppets Take Manhattan has that dumb baby song, and so uh, it's the excuse worst. me, that was the precursor. <laughs> baby and, hello, Muppet hang on a second. That is the precursor to the to Muppet, Muppet Baby Babies. show, so, which is my favorite so, cartoon of all time. So go okay. okay. oh, oh, You're in trouble. Throwing it down. I'm going to go outside New York. You're going to go outside in LA. I'm going to be freezing cold. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to immediately regret here. my decision. No, it's beautiful it here. It is but... covered in snow out there right now. But, no, um, this is about community. Listen. No more fighting. Okay, but no I more just, bringing right, we'll up politicians. What, what is so bad about Mama, Dada, Boo Boo, Chihuahua, I'm shocked Natalie's coming at me with this energy. Miss, like, I'm not going to have kids. Like, how? You don't like babies. No more fighting. I like Muppet babies. Hey, both of you, stop it. Done, 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 done. Keep going. I'm staying inside. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm staying inside. Um, and then in 1990, another big turning point, we just talked all about Disney, but Henson and Disney established a creative collaboration for theme park stuff. I got to see this like early on, like right when it came out, it was like my one trip to Disney World as a kid, but that Muppet Vision 3D mm -hmm. show that they it's did the best. was awesome. It was and my favorite. so fun. Probably my biggest memory from that trip, like it was so funny and all the effects. Didn't you get like water on you and stuff? And, yeah, it was like, Muppets 4D. So yeah. didn't, they just, it was, didn't they just close it? Yes, did they, they did. We, they, but yeah, they got Jackie, you and I went to that like maybe three or four years ago. I remember. I mean, that was our awesome. favorite. It was one of our favorite. Being in the Muppet part of Universal was always our 
Fa- oh, I'm sorry. That was MGM Studios. Yeah. Uh, that was always our favorite. You. And sitting also, the AC. And it was right next to the Indiana oh, yeah. Jones ride. Oh, yes. You get a break from the heat. Oh, and the so Star good. Tours. I love yeah. Star Tours. Uh, but pl- I'm sorry. Continue. Well, now that we're talking about things we love, let's talk about things we hate. Also no. in 1990, Jim Henson dies tragically at just 53 years old. It could have been avoided. It's very sad. I think if he had gotten to the hospital just a little bit sooner, he would have lived. Dude, it's crazy. They said if he had undergone antibiotic treatment just a few hours sooner, he would have survived. What? I'm sorry. What What was his death caused by again? It was pneumonia. It was complications with pneumonia. pneumonia. But then yeah. part of it was this like, I, I mean, I don't know science, something about. Uh, a, a virus that was uh, accompanying the pneumonia oh. that he just needed this antibiotic oh, treatment God, that if that he had just sucks. gotten it literally hours before he would have survived. I, I spared myself the play-by-play because I, I was really upset about it the first time I did research on this whole thing but I just it was one of those things too though I think that he just never slowed down. He never stopped. And, and he didn't think, listen to his body, which I think is yeah. something that we all need to remember. Very much. Is yeah. listening Absolutely. when you think that there's something wrong. And he really just, he straight up was like, to his wife, he's like, I don't have the time to deal with this. He knew that he was sick. He knew that it yeah. was bad. And yeah. he pushed and he pushed and he pushed. And not to say that like he did it to himself, but I am definitely very guilty of doing the same thing. And so there are times like this we have right. to remember we lost a visionary because right. he didn't take the time to listen to well, himself. Well, I think but that's, that's I think that's one of the reasons his funeral is so um heartbreaking and oh, so yeah. so massive because I think it was you know, funerals are for the people who are left behind and I think people were so shocked and not prepared for it. They the, his funeral is a huge production and you can go find most of it on YouTube and uh yes. it's really incredible to watch although it's, fuck you yeah. Holton because it was very upsetting. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely watch Be It Great uh sung by Carol Spinney in the Big Bird outfit. It but what's is crazy uh, very upsetting. <laughs> is that not only were, was everyone that loved him so upset and shattered by his death, but so was his business. And yeah. this is something that I didn't realize as much as like I knew a lot of how into the making of this movie is the fact that Disney pulled out from the Muppets immediately. The second all of this stuff, everything shattered and no one wanted to touch the Muppets. Yeah, it wouldn't be for 14 years till they ended up actually getting back up and, you know, get, getting back involved, which is a big part of how this this film was made. But it is also why it was so important that, the, and again, Brian Henson, who directed Muppet Christmas Carol, was not only his son, but also began performing as a Muppeteer in 1981 with the great Muppet caper. He, he, he was working with his father, and he was terrified of taking over I would be. for his dad. Right. Can you I imagine? Mean, no. How, even though he was in the family business, but part of it, was making sure that everyone knew this is still a family business. We are still going to. So this is this is a triumph story in reality. Of, of so not only is it you think like oh, but the Muppets were so established by the early nineties, but not enough without Jim Henson. Mm-hmm. Uh, Muppeteer Dave Goals said, "We already knew that Jim wanted the Muppets to live beyond him because that's why he was selling to Disney. The question for us was, were we up up to it?" Did we want to try it? And we all felt that it was our life's work. It wasn't just a job. So we decided to try. And I think that's an important part of it, too. It wasn't just about money for these people. It was literally like their legacy. 
was smashed with a hammer in a lot of ways out of nowhere and at the height of its success. And, you know, it was important for them to say, hey, Muppets will go on. So, and I get emotional talking about it, and I hate myself for it. I know, so, Brian- no, I completely understand. <laughs> I was just, just starting to tear up and just thinking about the fact that Brian Henson begged other people to be the director of the first movie back. <laughs> begged them, and no one, and like all of the Muppeteers were behind him and supported him completely, but they didn't want to take it. And Brian Henson knew that this was a test, that if this movie didn't go well, that the Muppets were done. And that is, it seems like it's such a like, oh no, they wouldn't have just been done, but they would have been. Everybody pulled out. It's so, uh, it makes but that's me so also emotional. Why, <laughs> I know, right? But that's also I love the why, Muppets so much. <laughs> why, and wonderfully so, and that's what they needed was reinvention, why A Muppet's Christmas Carol is so different from the previous films as well. And I think it did such a good job of maintaining the heart maintaining the character, maintaining the comedy of what the Muppets were, Definitely. but also paving a new way and saying it's not going to be the same, but it's still going to have these hit these notes and we're going to keep going. And I think that that was a really beautiful thing. Yeah. And, and, so, it, and it didn't yeah. feel like strangers. It was, I, I think that they really, yeah. like you said, you can't make it exactly the same, but I think it kept the spirit of the characters. Yeah, There's but it magic just it being here this it evening, just magic being an adaptation, here. it having these like very intense dramatic elements to it. The main characters being not Muppets, being Michael Caine as Scrooge. I think there's just all these little touches that just say, hey, this is just not the not it ain't your grandpappy's fucking Muppets. Yeah, well, that's why um, I think it's so the that's why the idea of how the script transformed is so cool. Because originally when they sat down, they were like, All right, we're gonna write a Muppets romp of a version of the Christmas Carol. Which is like, that doesn't work, you know? Yeah. It doesn't work. This actually came from a talent agent named Bill Haber who approached Brian Henson with the idea of filming an adaptation of Dickens' work, telling him it was, quote, the greatest story of all time, you should do that. And then Haber just went ahead and sold the thing to ABC, very much like... The Peanuts. So similar to The Peanuts (laughs) peanuts, with with the Charlie Brown Christmas, which is very funny. And that just kind of forced the issue. So uh, that's when they sat down to work on the script. Henson said, we set to work on the script. The Muppets are famous for questioning the status quo and anti-establishment irreverence. So we took that and pointed it at Charles Dickens. Robin the Frog was going to be the ghost of Christmas past. Miss Piggy was going to be this Bacchanalian ghost of Christmas present, which I actually kind of would have loved to see. An animal, (laughs) animal was going to be the ghost of Christmas yet to come. We were going to do a romping parody, as Jackie said before. In a perfect world, I want to see that version as well. I would like to see both. If they want to go back and redo it and... I would definitely watch that tape. But then they um, realized they wanted to bring soul to this movie in a way that they had not done before. And so one of my favorite ideas, so one of the first two people that they cast then, Muppet-wise, was Kermit and Piggy as Bob Cratchit and Mrs. Cratchit. And just the idea of this makes me really smile. And originally, they were going to make hybrid Muppet babies of... Frog and pig babies, Ugh. and 
I tried, and they they were like, oh no, 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 that's a little too oh. weird. They were trying to do like the genetics of how Kermit and Piggy oh, would have had actual babies, and then they were gonna make the piggies green and the frogs pink, and then they made <laughs> the pink frogs, and they just looked like penises. So they couldn't do that that's so funny. Uh, I just love that idea. Terrifying, but what? also I want to see the hybrid. I, I just feel like the kids would just be like, kill please me. kill me. <laughs> Genetic mutations. Also, I love this from Henson, uh, or from Brian Henson. Nobody had ever captured Dickens's prose, the wonderful way he describes the scenes. So we put, uh, had to put Charles Dickens in the movie. Who's the least likely character to be Charles Dickens? Gonzo. So we made him this omniscient storyteller with Rizzo, his pain in the neck sidekick. 95% of what Gonzo says in the movie is actually taken from the book, which I love. And of course, uh, Rizzo also acts as a sort of Greek chorus throughout the whole like thing. Like the rat, not the rat, like the rat, not the rat. Then they bring in Jerry Jewell to write the script. Jewell worked on various children's shows for local TV stations growing up while in college and met Frank Oz at a puppet theater when they were just teenagers, which led him to meeting Henson. Henson brought Jewell in on Sam and Friends way back when to write and alter, uh, uh, to write and uh, was later head writer on The Muppet Show and collaborated on the script for The Muppet Movie. Lisa Henson said, So much of the humor, irreverence, caring, and heart began with Jerry. He was, in many ways, the real voice of the Muppets. Well, and that's what's crazy. I didn't realize how much Jerry Jewell had written of the Muppets. Frank Oz also went on to saying that he was the person responsible for bringing heart to the Muppets. He just knew the characters better than anybody else. He was brilliant because he could be funny, but not nasty. He always saw the affection between the characters. Because that, again... Like Michael Donahue saying before, I don't write for felt, which is such a cold, bitchy thing to say. Well, that's what like, he oh, was. I know, because that that's who he, I know that's exactly who he is. Then there's Jerry Jewell, who's the opposite of that. It's like, no, no, no. Okay, you don't see the feeling in these puppets. They're more than puppets. I love the interaction and the creation of the idea of Gonzo and Rizzo as bosom buddies work so well to the point that in my brain I always thought that they were sidekicks and realized no it started with Muppet Christmas Carol of why yeah. they're so like such good friends also re realizing the nod I realized this probably about five or six years ago but when uh, when Gonzo walks into Fezziwig's party and he sees the chicken go by and he goes wow and now that i realize that it's because gonzo likes to have sex with chickens yep. and that was yes. his probable penis getting hard but yep. yes yep absolutely which is fantastic <laughs> i'm glad <laughs> but it could have gone worse where his like nose curled upward when the chicken walked past oh yeah no, no they no, don't no, take no. it that Little far Fred. they don't take it too far they don't take Little it too Fred far back at it again um so after they sent the script for approval from ABC, the Disney execs decided to purchase the thing to be released as a feature film. It was originally going to be made for TV, which would have been like this incredible made for TV thing. Dude. And uh, so much better to go in the theaters, even though we'll talk later about how that kind of fucked it. And I will talk about talk about TV specials. Another favorite in our household is the Christmas toy. And I don't know if you guys ever seen the Christmas toy before, but it is another Jim Henson television special that Henry and I were obsessed with growing up. And it's another one of those where it's kind of weird and dark and all the toys come to life. It's like it, it was Toy Story before Toy Story. No, I don't know and that one. It came out before 
Muppet Christmas Carol. So it was actually like a Jim Henson Christmas production. Oh, Still okay. one of my favorites. Oh, cool. Oh, I don't know it. It's delightful, but you should look it up if you want another Jim Henson Christmas special. Anyway, sorry, I pulled up. I pulled it up on my phone and originally the first picture before the movie was up was a Christmas ornament of two elves fucking. Oh Ooh, yeah, like, that's a Christmas toy I want to get behind. Sorry, natural reacts. I don't know. Sorry for any child that was curious about that film. Jesus. Let's, uh, what were you about to talk? I was about to go in on the cast. Was that You're going to talk you about it? Yeah, because I was, I, I was just thinking about that with the TV special. Before you even say that, obviously, is Michael Caine that was cast as Scrooge. Originally, George Carlin was offered the role, which I see, because again, it was the idea they were creating a much different movie originally. Would have and been then like they Scrooge. were going to have George. That is a very different idea. And you know, again, like, I want to see yeah, that. Yeah, I think he could crush it. He played um he played uh, the train captain on Shining Time Station. Like he he did yeah, kids. And stuff. he was great in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. He was in The Prince of Tides. Like he was starting to really act more. Mm-hmm. And um but so but then of course, given to the perfect Michael Caine. Michael Caine as Ebenezer Scrooge. He first performed in a school play at the age of 10 in Cinderella, and his fly was undone when he hit the stage, and that got a laugh, and apparently that laugh gave him the acting bug, so it was all from a little Fred of his own. (laughs) He struggled for the first decade of his acting career until he moved to London and ended up as Peter O'Toole's understudy in a play in the West End, which he got to fully take over when O'Toole left to make Lawrence of Arabia. After that, he got regular film and television work which led to his first breakthrough or breakout rather in the film Zulu and later starred in the comedy caper film The Italian Job which is a big Oh hit. is that the one with uh with Charlie's their own and uh uh and, and you remember uh, with the cars No <laughs> But also, he did get Carter, <laughs> which also had a dumb '90s remake of its own. And, oh, cool. and no, actually, Get Carter was really the remake was actually quite good. But um, in the that was back in the early '70s, and he's working through the '70s, '80s. Then he ends up nabbing his first act uh, Oscar in Woody Allen's Hannah and Her Sisters. Uh, which is uh, one of my personal favorite films, uh, as long as I disregard all of the allegations, which is impossible to do these days. Either way, Kane what is also beautiful, though, about Michael Caine taking on this role <laughs> is that he originally didn't know if he wanted to take it because he also had to sing and he really didn't want to sing. But why did he take the role? Because his daughter asked him to. Michael Caine realized that his young daughter had never actually seen him in a film before. So when the role of Scrooge was originally offered to him, he accepted so that his daughter could finally see him act in something. This is maybe a quote that he just did for like the pressers, but I do like it. He said, all my friends have worked with the Muppets. Everybody I know has done a thing with the Muppets, and I always felt a little bit left out. But they only did half-hour television shows. I got to do a two-hour movie. So it's great. (laughs) This is also, this is the quote. I feel like anytime you look up this movie, you see this quote, but I will say it aloud. The actual, this is Michael Caine. My cocaine. My cocaine. The actual puppets are so real and with such definite character that I mean, I treat them as if I'm playing with the Royal Shakespeare Company or something. And I am playing Scrooge kind of differently from the way he's been played before, but very, very seriously. I mean, when he cries, he cries. There are no concessions made to the fact that it's a film for children or 
I'm with the Muppets. And he uh, also, I love that he took inspiration from, quote, Wall Street cheats and embezzlers. I thought they represented a very good picture of meanness and greed. And I think it's very applicable to this motherfucking year. Yes. I know what's up. I love it, too, because something which I never really thought about before is that Michael Caine and what he says, he attributes some of his best acting tips. He says, in real life, people don't blink when they're talking to you. It's only actors who blink in the movies. So mm. he doesn't blink. This is part of like his. So not only did he treat the Muppets like they were actual other actors, but he also apparently uh, enjoys working with Muppets and puppets way more than dealing with actors. He says human actors are always difficult, but the puppets and puppeteers <laughs> were lovely, gentle people. God, it always. was extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, I imagine the egos aren't as bad. As the actors. That's the thing. And the, the puppeteers, and when I was reading this interview with him, was he essentially was talking about like working with people who love what they do is such a different experience than just making a movie or being there because like, oh, yeah. we get paid a lot of money. This was a this was such a huge project for all of them. We'll talk about it in a second as well. The fact that this is the first time that Kermit is voiced by a different person person right. like this is great this is a this is a very vulnerable set that they mm. were yeah like when you're on. when you're on set with muppets or whatever it's not like uh you know in between takes i like oh have you been to quantro it's what everybody knows and everyone's in the know and you're just and like the fuck away. you know what i mean oh i'm sorry i didn't go to quantro uh Bern- <laughs> bernetta or whatever your dumb like, okay. ba- name that your parents gave you bernetta. whatever applesauce or whatever stupid name your parents gave you you fucking la piece of shit you say uh, applesauce quantro then i don't even want to know get, what get Holden, get it out. Yeah, get it out now, Holden. Uh, uh, they have laser tag in the back, but you can only get in with a special password. It's like, go. Actually, I kind of want to play laser I was yeah, going to say, you would <laughs> love having the password. I would what love are you talking about? Who wants to be able to get in there? You just want the password. Exactly. I do just want to be with them and of them. But either way, I've got a, a bota, a poima. I don't say <laughs> yeah, well, you can't let your lips touch, or else that means <laughs> that your face is ruined too much. <laughs> you That'll be like great a, for radio. You look like the character from In Living Color when you made that face. So <laughs> Wanda. Like Jamie Foxx's character, Wanda. Wanda. Uh, either way, look, flashback, by the way. But either way, uh, also, though, Jackie did call it, quote, the most difficult film I've ever worked on. And that was, though, that was because he was playing it so straight and hitting all these emotional beats, but there was a lot of... Set chain. Like, yeah, do you want to speak towards the? I think you did a little more research into this than I did. Like the way they would have to remove floor panels to get the Muppeteers in, and then completely do a full reset after that shot, and, re- and put panels nuts. back and remove. And yeah, then have to be and setting. have to be like in the moment, emotional on top of all yes. that would be really challenging. And yes. it was also cute too that apparently in the like the heat wave, this is island in the sun. Yeah, I love like that, like part. that part. <laughs> that apparently Michael Caine said he's like I just kept laughing. He's like and yeah, I was the one so destroying hard. the takes because he just kept laughing. But down to the fact that okay. It's these kind of things that we don't think about. Some of the hardest moments to shoot of this movie. Kermit blowing out a candle. You think, oh, that's easy enough. And I never thought about this before. But Muppets don't breathe. So what they have to do is they hold <laughs> up in the middle of the scene. They hold up the puppet. And they have to time the firing of an air gun at the flame by someone else that can't see Kermit's mouth while he's blowing out. So it's things like that that take such a long time to get done properly. That or 
So part of something that Jim Henson was really big into for each of his movies is he wanted every one of the Muppet movies to move the ideas of what puppets could do and what they could be forward. So they he always wanted in every movie to do something that had not been seen before, like when we see Kermit walk during the movie, that Brian Henson said, we never had a Muppet walking full figured before. It was tricky, but it worked. Apparently, <laughs> it took 10 puppeteers to be able to get that shot where Kermit is placed on a snow covered rotating drum for him, for them to oh, create yeah, an illusion okay. of a natural gate, yeah. so it's underneath him moving. So behind the drum was a small army of puppeteers controlling every part of Kermit's limbs in front of a blue screen. And then they had to go back while the the drum is moving and two people are moving that in time with them moving the puppet. And then they had to go back in and replace them in post-pro uh, to to replace them with the rows of houses. You would think after and, a while, you, the number of puppeteers you get they get in the way of each other. Like ten puppeteers seems mm. like you'd all just be slapping elbows and stuff. And, and right. they are, but they have to get really intimate with each other. And also, just even thinking about think about that opening shot. Those were all individually made miniatures that they yeah. had to that they're like pushing into the scene to get a tracking shot over something that was like that where the perspective is changing. So much work and detail is put into this movie that you don't even realize down to the fact that I mean, not even getting into the fact that all of the Muppet extras that had to be created that are from the other worlds that they've in court. Like you can see lots of the different Fraggle Rock characters in the backgrounds, Aww. like the dog from Fraggle yeah. Rock also in it. They, they, they in court. So this is a community of a Muppet world that they always work within. Oh, I love it. It's the Muppet verse. Even the vegetables hate him. Uh, Also, Uh shout outs to the penguins. I love the penguins. Also, shout outs to the fact that I could see Jackie's ring light in her glasses. And it's like, Jackie, it's not a video podcast. Yeah, well, I like to look good for my friends. (laughs) You do look very cute. Thank you. I like you too, whatever. So either way, uh, (laughs) it was also, um, this was also, I love knowing this. This is the first time Michael Caine sang in a film and he's not a singer and he but he pulls it off by the way I don't think I I don't I don't watch him be like that's a bad singer but man does that not make it so much more impactful when he does sing as the character Scrooge yes. because it sounds so much more like the character would sound that this character who's never sung before finally giving voice to song yes. in this moment was so <laughs> natural and so wonderful and he was really cute about it and I watched that little like when love is gone, um, oh, the behind the dog. scenes recording, yeah, uh, was so cute, and he was such a sweet. I just was like, oh, I'd love to work with him. He just seemed like such a sweet. He just seems like such a sweet man, and the fact that he came into this role with such respect for what they do and what was being made, it makes I, I just. I mean, I always have loved Michael Caine, but this makes me love him even more. Uh, a quick rundown of the cast, because the rest of the cast is so kind of in and out and not like any big names or anything that you would know. But Stephen McIntosh plays Scrooge's nephew, Fred, uh, little Fred. He was uh, he, he had done a bunch of British TV and film, and he was also in Guy Ritchie's Lockstock and Smoking Barrels. I wanted I to bend movie. him over the oh, mistletoe. Right. <laughs> and, when I, and then I showed that. I said that to Jeff. I was like, that shows how much my taste 
um, specifically of men has changed in right. since I used to watch this because I used to, you know, trauma being in, enjoying men that I could probably take down if needed, like nephew Fred, and oh my how my opinions <laughs> have Ed changed Walker. over time. Take down if needed. Robin <laughs> Weaver. Robin Weaver plays Clara, Fred's wife. Uh, she is also known for her role in the British popular British coming of age TV show, The Inbetweeners. Very well known. Meredith Braun, who plays Belle, Scrooge's former love interest, is a New Zealand actress who mainly did a lot of stuff on London's West End, which you makes a lot of sense because she's very much a musical theater mm. type, I would say, for sure. Very charming. Very mm. charming. Uh, Jessica Fox, who plays the ghost of Christmas past, is known for her role in the British soap opera Hollyoaks. Hollyoaks. That puppet, the ghost, the first ghost, is the creepiest one, in my opinion. The first ghost is so, the whole ghost thing is so bizarre to me. I will say one thing that is bizarre to me is that they did not, do you have any quotes on this, why they chose specifically not to use any Muppet characters as any of the ghosts? Because I think that's the weirdest They wanted touch. it to be more impactful. They gotcha. wanted they it to wanted be, it. because it is otherworldly, they wanted to include something that was outside of their universe so you didn't see them as like, oh, well, that would make sense. That's part of it. Right. it they wanted it to be jarring, which is when gotcha. I get into how they did and how they created the Ghost of Christmas Past, which we will Ooh, oh, definitely cool. I get think it's into. Because, oh, I, love you. I think yeah. she's creepy because it's something about flesh-toned puppets is weird to yes. me. Uh-huh. Go, sorry, go on. Oh, yeah. And, and it's very, like, ghost. It's just a really good, um, it, it, it looks like what a, you think an actual ghost looks like. So yeah. I think that's oh, yeah. That works, too. But, but by the way, the first ghost is actually Marley and Marley. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yes. Our oh! hearts are painted black. Oh, so good. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about the Muppeteers briefly as well. Dave Goals, we mentioned before, he plays Gonzo as well as Waldorf and Dr. Bunsen Honeydew. Steve Whitmore performs as Rizzo the Rat, Beaker, Bean Bunny, and Kermit the Frog, which, which was I his do. first turn with the role. And yeah, you have some stuff on, because that must have been incredibly intimidating shoes to fill, Jackie. Yes, so Steve Whitmore, who was already obviously been working, he worked with Jim Henson for many years before this, and he was very nervous about voicing Kermit. And he actually spoke in an interview talking about how the night before he did his first scene for the movie... Steve Whitmore apparently had a dream that he found Henson in a gleaming white hotel lobby and confessed his anxiety about taking on the character so identified with its creator. He said he stopped and there was a thoughtful gesture Jim would do where he would take both of his index fingers and put them under his chin. And he did that and thought and he said, it will pass, which is exactly what Jim would have said. You would have to really know Jim to get this, but that's exactly what he would have said. Then he turned and he said, I've really got to run. And he took off out the door. I woke up and I felt great. I remembered this dream and I went in the next day. I did the work. It was smooth. It worked fine. And I felt great. Just that little bit of encouragement. That's what Jim always was for me. I'm not going to start crying about it. <laughs> Yeah, I really just hold my face really right still now. like a T Rex, and maybe the tears won't leave my eyes and go down the chin. Well, here, maybe I'll help you. Last night, Jim Henson appeared in one of my dreams. He said, "Look at this! Look, it's little Fred," and and he was pointing down at his pants. And I looked down at his penis. That's Tiny Fred is not his penis. <laughs> Tiny Fred is not his penis. <laughs> 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Jerry Nelson played Robin the Frog, among others. Frank Oz returns, of course, as Miss Piggy, Fozzie Bear, Sam Eagle, George the Janitor, and Animal. I think Sam Eagle may be my favorite Muppet character. I am sad because I know that we will talk about, you know, obviously Love is Gone, but I am sad. Although it is on the Muppet soundtrack, Sam Eagle had a song in the original oh, really? movie, and it oh. had to get cut. There was two other songs that also ended up getting cut, but it is on the Muppet soundtrack. Because they Sam Eagle as the it. foil, he's so like just the it whole like self seriousness. It's so funny. Yeah, it's in a business way. Yeah. Why was what was this song about? It was called Chairman of the Board. And he <laughs> saw and he essentially sang him a song about all of the things that he will do and how his and how successful he will be. And essentially driving home, which was not a needed thing, driving home that success is money. And that is what he needed to remember. Gotcha. So they, gotcha. But we already got that, you know, obviously. We all know Scrooge. Have you ever been to Lucas? It's owned by a man named George. I don't want to go to not. Lucas. I hate Lucas. That's but not what way. the Muppets were like. <laughs> <laughs> you can only get, get in by walking into the place backwards. Yeah, but you would, again, you would love that. All these you, things you're you saying, would you would do in a second. It's got a ball pit in the middle the of the The second they invited uh, you, yeah, you, you would push Jackie and I into the sewer. Get out of my way. I'm going to Lucas. <laughs> the table settings have their own cocaine spoons. Ah, um, I mean, also pretty sick, but not right now. Fentanyl. But either way, uh, the filming took place in, at the Shepperton Studios in England. The studio was built back in 1932 and saw rapid expansion through the 40s. In the 70s, the studio was used for Stanley Kubrick's The Clockwork Orange, as well as Ridley Scott's Alien and David Lynch's The Elephant Man. Jesus. So a huge, All across awesome the pedigree. Board. Yeah, really cool stuff. And it was the very first time they used it to film a Muppets project. As Mich- uh, Mr. Kane mentioned earlier, the setups took forever. And it was a whole situation. And the buildings in London uh, and the London street scenes were constructed by hand and would diminish in size in order to look like the streets were longer than they actually were. Jackie was talking about how she was really watching for, like, how things were made. Well, one little time you can spot how things were made is during the crane shot at the end of the song, It Feels Like Christmas. You actually see the illusion uh, in a sense. And they decided to keep the shot in because they just loved it too much uh, and just said, fuck it. If they catch it, they catch it. But you can actually see, actually see that illusion of the buildings being smaller as they go back. Uh, but either way, that's all I have on filming. I have a lot on the music. Uh, Jackie, do you have anything else about the filming before we move on to that? As a matter of fact, I do. So as we said earlier, we were talking about Jim Henson and how there are little nods to Jim Henson in this. Like when Kermit is looking up into the sky and he sees a shooting star because Jim Henson put shooting stars into all of his movies, that that was his little nod to himself. So when he looks up and he sees the shooting star, that was his little nod to Jim Henson and for Jim Henson. I'm not crying. I'm not crying. There's also, but also. very sentimental. This goes. Don't. I don't need any help. 
The movie is also dedicated in memory of the great puppeteer Richard Hunt. And Richard Hunt, again, who did Scooter and Janice and Sweetums and Statler. So they in during the It Feels Like Christmas musical number, when Scrooge's cold heart begins to noticeably melt, apparently David Dave Goles and David Rudman choreographed two horses dancing, which I know the, the exact part that they're talking about when the horses dance across I the screen. I love that and part. That so is a much. nod to Richard Hunt because one oh. of the horses has a gap between his two front teeth, and that, and so did Richard Hunt. So they cut the two front teeth apart of one of the horses and named the horse Richmond. And every time they would try to take the scene out because it's not necessarily needed, they refused to take it out. We're like, we'll just find another place and it will be in there. And uh, I love that moment. Why would they why would they be up for debate? It's so short, too. It's like not that big of a deal. I know if if you um, uh, give my memory an homage uh, using a horse, I will return as a ghost and haunt you to death. Well, I want to be like a horse. Okay. yeah, I want to be like a big, strong man, like getting his like with like eight girls, like or women, fully grown women sort of getting fully grown women. Fully yeah, grown yeah. women having sex with you. Okay, that that's kind good. Of thing. I'll be shooting a machine gun and eating. Yeah, a, like, like eating sirens. A burger, okay, I, I love burger and fries while I'm getting sort of consumed sexually by these. I would say women with breasts the sirens. Size of yeah, a sirens. So when we make block. our puppet movie, that's what you want to be represented. Yes, okay. I've said it on Got a it. podcast for posterity. You better fucking do it. Okay, I'm not. <laughs> and with Taylor playing in the background. All right, um, and, but also. Like I was just talking about with the ghost of Christmas past, they had to make her waterproof, which part of the reason why she was pale like that is because the puppet was literally falling apart as they were shooting the scenes because she was a rod puppet. Obviously, they wanted to make it look like she was floating. So they first tried to shoot it with her underwater. And then they're like, oh, but it's not flowing properly. It's just kind of like she looks almost like a jellyfish. So they filled the tank with baby oil. But the high quantity of baby oil was way too expensive. So they could only do it for some of the shots. And then the rest of the time they had to be put into the water, which is why it would go back in on her face. But it held up. The glue and the paints that made the puppet were falling, disintegrating into the water. And they're just like, just shoot it. Just get, we just gotta get it done. And like so, they're desperately, and in the end of the scene, it completely disintegrated in their hands when wow. they were done with it. Well, it works for the ghost stuff. I, I do find oh, yeah. it really creepy. Yeah. Oh yeah, and the fact that the ghost of Christmas present, which again, I never thought about this before. Why does he die in the end? And I know I feel so dumb. Oh, I, feel dumb. I love it. Yeah, it's because. It's because- yeah, he only he's lives on moment. Christmas Day. He That's yeah, why he's had 18,000 brothers and sisters, that he only exists on Christmas Day. I never thought about that before. That's so yeah, smart. I actually never have either. Such a, cool, such a cool touch that it's just only in the moment, too. It's He, he lives in the moment. So he yes. would live and die within a within a quick you know breath, essentially. So yeah, that definitely cool. works really well. And the Ghost of Christmas Present was controlled by two separate people. It's another one of why it was so difficult to get those big shots. It's because he was done by two separate people to do one doing the face, one doing the body. And my other little things that I want to talk about real quick, the costumes. 
and how adorable those little fucking Muppet costumes were. And all of the Muppets, I'm, I imagine you get into it about her in the Muppets uh, Whizbrew episode, but Polly Smith it was the costume designer for the Muppets since the very beginning. She even won That's several so Emmy Awards for her work on Sesame Street. That's so cool, which is why they made every single Muppet historically accurate with their clothes. Oh, and wow. Is it, so there was two separate designers for it. Anne Hollywood did all the people and Polly Smith did all the Muppets. And it even makes sense... Kermit is wearing a high-waisted coat, which is actually out of fashion for the time period, but Bob Cratchit is poor, right, which is right. why he has an old jacket on. Same with Miss Piggy's plaid dress and the big sleeve she has, also out of fashion, but she's poor. And she also is the only one without a corset on, which I think is very cute. But they even made all of the little, like, hats on the No Cheeses for His Mises all individually made. So Isn't cool. Isn't that crazy? Like layer, all of them are wearing layers. Go back and watch it again. Layers of historically accurate clothing. Man, that's, that's gotta be a crazy. cute room where it's her, co- her costume room's just filled with tiny little oh outfits. Oh my God, tiny how tiny outfits. they are. I love, I love it. it. I love it. I love it. Um, I just, now it really is in thinking about that and the fact that, again, the layers and all the little vests and everything, that's a lot of fucking work, y'all. Yeah, for sure. Also, I couldn't really find anything on it, but I love the choreography in this film, and it's so, like, in the background, and, it, it, and I it's did it. so awesome. You did it? Mm-hmm. Natalie did it! Yeah. Tell you us what it was really like good working job. with Brian Thank Hansen. You. Thank you. You, you did a really, really good, good job. job. Yeah. Um, either way, also, shout out to those penguins, man. They're just so funny. So I cute. Love I love so their much. little feet. I love Muppet <laughs> feet as well. Like, Muppet the way they're really like, cute. slap, slap, slap. Little feet yeah, are so yeah, cute. Yeah. They're so great. But either way, um, let's talk about the music. There's so much to talk about I can't wait. You're not going to talk about the ghost of Christmas yet to come because that's what you called your dick in high school. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, he was very one. scary, and they, it took. It actually was very difficult because they flooded the entire studio with fog when they showed up, so they could only get it once. That take had to be done, in, and he was on a dolly moving him in and out of the scene. But since they needed to, like, they had to get immediately rid of all of the smoke right afterwards. So it was a one shot and done, which, as we said earlier, very difficult for the Muppets to get something done in one take. So the score was done by Miles Goodman with songs written by Paul Williams. Goodman's own cousin growing up was an Oscar-winning film composer. His name was Johnny Mandel, which is what piqued his interest to follow a similar career path that his his cousin uh, would actually end up being his mentor throughout his career. He had an eclectic taste, which included a big interest in jazz and other things. Goodman at first wanted to be a director, but eventually went to L.A. to study music and film scoring. In 1979, he arranged orchestrations for the Peter Sellers comedy Being There and went on to do score tons of films such as Footloose, Little Shop of Horrors, and Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, oh, so which was good. directed by Frank Oz. So, so good. Frank Oz is amazing. He's so funny. Too. I mean, just so much of the comedy is, uh, you know, of the Muppets coming from him is so good. So that's, I think, how he got connected to this project was via Frank Oz. I'm not completely sure, but it seems likely. Paul Williams started out working with a guy named Biff Rose, and together they wrote the song Fill Your Heart, which was covered by Tiny Tim, hilariously enough, the uh, musician, not the uh, (laughs) character. 
And later, Bowie actually did the same on his album, Hunky Dory. Hell yeah. Uh, he, he then wrote hits for bands like Three Dog Night. He wrote an old-fashioned love song, and oh. uh, as well as songs for the Carpenters and others. With fellow musician Kenneth uh, Asher, he wrote Rainbow Connection, as well as songs for films like Bugsy Malone and the music and lyrics to A Star Is Born. W- Williams was actually a guest on The Muppet Show in 1976. He said... I was singing a song called Sad Song with Rolf the Dog, playing the piano and a bunch of Muppets coming in to sing background. There's a moment at the end of the song when Rolf pats the piano and looks at me like, this is really sad, isn't it? He closes the lid of the piano and I reach down and I realize when I watch that, there is no Muppet performer under any of that. That moment is all about me being totally moved by this furry creature. I realize that if I connect with the Muppets like that, I think maybe we all do. They have a deep spiritual sense about them as teachers and all, but it's so beautifully cloaked in their playfulness. So Henson asked Williams to write songs for the TV movie Emmett Otter's Jug Band oh, Christmas. I love Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Which is fun. It's and, so uh, cute. That was in 1977. And of course, again, for the Muppet movie in 1978, Rainbow Connection, probably the, bit, the most classic Muppet song of all time. And in the 80s, his success led to a hearty vodka and cocaine addiction for Ooh, about yeah. a decade. He literally says he lost a decade of his life wow. to just being a party animal. And uh, Williams said, it was a dark, dark period of my life. I went from Johnny Carson's couch to peeking out the windows through the Venetian blinds looking for the tree police. Which very, if anybody oh, has no. been to an awful cocaine bender. Um, very, very scary. I've only had it described to me, but it sounds like, yeah, you look out the window a lot for You don't trust that anybody. Song, the tree police. <laughs> A comment for me. That's very scary. I don't want the tree police to come for me. Thank you. After a brief stint in rehab in 1990, Williams was ready to get back to life as he knew it. And two months after that, Jim Henson dies. Brian Henson felt that in working on this film, the Muppet movie contained the best music of the franchise up to that point. And therefore, even though the rumors were all over the place, everybody kind of looked at Williams as this drugged out crazy guy at this point he decided to call up Williams and see if uh, he'd be interested and Williams said when I got sober the career I thought I had was pretty much gone I just fell in love with recovery I felt like that's all I wanted to do and I didn't know if I was ever going to write music again and then I was asked to write the songs for the Muppet Christmas Carol every now and then the universe will line up to do something at the right time in your life I was longing to live life in a totally new way, one day at a time. Trusting what I needed was within me to get things done. And I'm sitting down to write these songs. I'm writing about Scrooge, a man who's learning to live life in a whole new way, who's having a spiritual awakening. It's like, okay, now this is my in, uh, inventory of dealing with where I am in my own life. Which that makes sense. Beautiful. Yeah. So beautiful. Yeah, well. How yeah. absolutely beautiful that he could see this as a gift to himself and his own recovery of and what an interesting perspective to write the music for a Christmas carol of someone that is also recently trying to get his life back and trying to change who he is and how he and how he is and writing and putting all of that emotion into Scrooge that it that I it has to be why this music strikes so hard it is it's not just oh this is just great music it hits at a different level where it 
it shakes me to my core of uh, of what this story is supposed to be saying that you can choose again that every day is a new day it, yeah you, you know, can be a better person that's really fascinating and maybe it's obvious and I, I'm just dumb but I've never put that together but it is such a beautiful metaphor for addiction that story yeah. yeah and then also I think it's powerful as well for many people this year especially today yes. I think this year has been about a lot about also the idea that maybe sometimes you just get so stuck in a way of being and thinking and doing and you get a little lost uh you know and and this year I think a lot of people have been forced to stop and slow down and really reconsider what who they are in this world, what value they have in this world, and who, what kind of person they really want to be after just being on the rat race, the Rizzo race for so long, and then realizing like, whoa, whoa, wait, where, where am? Where, let's take inventory here. And I think that is a lot of what this film is about too. That yeah, I love the idea that no matter how much how much you can be one type of person, you can actually just decide one day to fucking not to stop to stop doing the coke and the vodka to to stop just trying to make as much money as humanly possible in your lifetime and nothing else, you know? Well, and that's why when, and when Paul Williams says that part of the reason why he took it as well is that Scrooge's metamorphosis touches him because he could completely change his entire being in one night. And that took him 49 years to do. Mm. Yeah. And talking about his struggle with addiction problems, it, it it's be, totally read the interview that was in the Vulture magazine yeah, right, about I the music. All, yeah, and I have a bunch of quotes from that, but uh, yes, definitely we want to give props to this Vulture article about the music behind Muppet Christmas Carol because it is such a powerful. So Vulture just has a lot of really great um, deep dives. Yeah, I, I feel oh, like yeah. I really cool. Yeah, we've them used the them a lot. Yeah, yeah. For, for these. So for the opening number, I love this too. Williams envisioned a grumpy Scrooge trotting through the snowy town. So that's why you have that, you know, that like uh, uh, kind of plodding. Yeah. Yeah. It has that feeling of that and, and, and making these creatures that he passed colder as he passes them by. And uh, he actually ended up taking a mystery novel out to a park by his place with a tape recorder. And just a few pages in, it just hit him. And he just started... These lyrics apparently just came to him very, very, like, divinely, which is very cool. And Love just, like, it. nailed down that whole track. Then he really goes ham on Thankful Heart, as it got to the root of his feelings at the time. Williams said, With a thankful heart, with an endless joy, With, with a, a growing, growing family, every girl and boy will be nephew and ace to me. And there was a connectedness to the world around me, is what William said, and a level of gratitude that, to this day, is probably one of the most powerful emotions I've ever experienced. It was fun watching this back-to-back -back with the episode of Big Mouth. I don't know if you've gotten to it yet, with the gratitude. And uh, <laughs> of just, like, rem reminding yourself to be grateful for things that are in your life. And especially this year, I think... Part of the reason why I cried through Muppet Christmas Carol, of course, of all the many reasons, was thinking of remembering to take a step back and reminding yourself of what we can be thankful for. It is very difficult in how dark this time of our lives have, have been in many different ways. And this song just hits in a different way this year. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Frank Oz said... I think the songs are the key thing, not unlike Paul's songs in Emmett Otter and the Muppet movie. It's those songs that give us the real depth. 
He has such an extraordinary heart, and how that heart comes out in his music has always, always affected the quality and the warmth of the production. But again, there's also, there's the songs now I know I can see we're about to start talking about When Love Is Gone, but in addition to When Love Is Gone being yanked from our clutches, there was also the songs Room In Your Heart, which was sung by Bunsen and Beaker and Chairman of the Board, sung by Sam Eagle, and evil, quibby bitch Jeffrey Katzenberg, who ends up taking out When Love Is Gone, also looked at the other two songs and said, eh, Hasn't we don't really he been need through it. enough this year? <laughs> eh, we don't really need it. Um, do you know that quibby is to stand for the phrase quick, quick bites? Yeah. Go fuck Ugh. yourself, Jeffrey Katzenberg. Uh, but he took out all the songs, okay? Uh, yeah, so we're going to skip Love Is Gone, and I just have a couple of quotes to summarize the whole thing. You're going wow. to uh, get jankings. You're about to get Jackie spanked just again. Made at you. you are dead meat, mister. You will read the information about When Love Is Gone, or I'm just going to say, or you're, we're going to do what I did when I watched the movie yesterday, which I paused the movie, watch the, scre- the, the video of When Love Is Gone on YouTube, and then I continue watching the movie. I refuse to watch without it. I also want to say thank you to everyone that says that you can watch the widescreen version on the DVD. It does have the song, but then it's the widescreen. Is that the widescreen? Is it? No, or is it full screen? Whatever the one it is, is you can't see all the fucking Muppets in it. And I want to see all the Muppets on the screen. All right? <laughs> I want to see those I'd fucking rather Muppets pause on the it. fucking screen. <laughs> I'd rather pause it and watch it on a separate screen to get when love is You're gone. You're being a real Mariah Carey right now. Oh, I feel like a Mariah right now. I feel like <laughs> everyone knows what everyone knows and everybody knows that, of course, famously Disney executive Jeffrey Katzenberg had Brian Henson cut When Love Is Gone from the theatrical release, feeling it was too, quote, sophisticated emotionally for children. You bag of shit. You even Have you ever been in triage? Yeah. I hear they give you a bag of piss on your way out to throw at a homeless person. <laughs> fuck all that shit, man. That's what, that, he goes to triage. But either way, um, Meredith Braun, the actress who played Belle, who sang the song, said... They thought it would slow down the action for five-year-olds. And it was quite a pivotal scene in retrospect. I, I didn't think about it until you brought it up. But yes, it is literally the first part time you see Scrooge actually showing some cracks in his icy exterior. And even gives a little bit of voice. He, he sings a little bit of her song with her. This is like, it is a bit jarring. You don't really get that in the film as it is without the song. You don't get that transition point. It is a very pivotal point. Yes. Um, also, Braun said, Brian wrote to me, and he was hugely upset about it and mass- massively apologetic. He just made it very clear that it wasn't his choice. Um, and then, of course, new developments have happened just this year. So back back in a 2018 interview, Henson revealed uh, that they actually wanted to put the, the scene back in. But, quote, Disney lost the negative. I made the movie with When Love Is Gone in it, and then I removed it for the theatrical release because the studio wanted the movie shorter with the agreement that I would put it back in again for the video release. 
They're still searching. I call them like every month to ask if they're still looking. Wow. One of these days they'll find That's it. That's so weird well, to think of the about. reason. You can't like just back then you couldn't just have it on like a hard drive somewhere. It's right. just, like, it can't be right. backed up like yeah. eight different times. Because that's like, the thing. They couldn't find the original film negative. And the only way that they could find it, they found it, but it was in a four to three aspect ratio, which is why they couldn't put it in the longer version and the other version of the film. Because Brian Henson said when they tried cutting it into the Blu-ray movie, it looked terrible as well because right. you could tell we'd cut from high resolution to the original video release. So it never, it didn't look right. It didn't make sense until this year. They Mate, they found put, it. They found holograms. They put holograms they in. Found they found it. the holograms. They found holograms. No, but they. So, uh, I do love how they did it too. Disney calls up Henson. They're like, "Hey, we have a 4K remaster. We need you to come in and check out for us." And then surprised him. Oh, that's with and the, it was wow. There. I am actually shocked. I just assumed they were not looking for it and going like, "Yeah, we're uh, we're looking through all the." Uh, the shelves there. We're looking for it. I think it makes me love Brian Henson even more, though, because I love the fact that he was like, we will find it. I don't care. I am the head of the Muppets. We <laughs> will find it. And it took a long time. What What did this? Is that almost 30 years it yeah, took to crazy. find it? Wow. Uh, but crazy. I hate you, Jeffrey Katzenberg. And I'm sure that you are a fine person in real life, but... For well, this, we don't know. I'll he never could be a piece of you. shit. We don't know. He could be a piece of shit. Quick bites. Yeah, he goes to triage. Um, I have a couple <laughs> of ending quotes, and that's about it. Do you have anything else you want to spill beans wise? Uh, My couple. About I got a couple more beans. Just a couple Please. more beans. Um, number one, hot take. I hate the Martina McBride of When Love Is Gone at the end. Hot take number two, uh, and I and I enjoy hot, uh, Martina McBride. That's hot take number two. Hot take number three. Is that what's hard about all this? Even though, uh, to me, I love Muppet Christmas Carol, and to me, this was the best Christmas movie to have ever been made. That they, that this movie was actually a much bigger flop than Disney thought it would be. Right. But it wasn't its fault, though. It made twenty-seven million, and the budget of the film was twelve million. But it's not its fault because it came out the same weekend as Home Alone Two. And Aladdin. Yeah, why I mean, you Disney, put it up by against the way, Disney, them. what? Why? Is I don't it competing know. with yourself much? But like, why, we why were, did Aladdin come out? And, and I would have thought Aladdin would have been a summer movie. Yeah, for right? sure. Also, we were the target audience for those movies. And I distinctly remember Home Alone 2 and going to the movie theater with my grandmother yes. and being obsessed Same. with Home Alone 2 and with Aladdin. I had no time in my little pea brain to think about Muppets. Yeah. In the midst when of I, that and that the greatness that is Home Alone 2. When I saw Home Alone 2 with your grandmother, I was like, who are you? Why are you sitting <laughs> next to me? Ever go what near my grandmother? am I in? Did uh, she kiss you? That's what everyone wants to know. You wish. Oh, yeah. My grandma was pretty of, sexy. A little bit of hand stuff. A little bit of hand stuff. Good but uh, either way, um, anything else? Uh, no, I just love I, it. You should totally go. It's on Disney+. Plus. You have. You must. You must. For me watch Muppet Christmas Carol this year because we did it. I know that we had nothing to do with finding When Love is Gone, but in my brain, we made it happen. It was our energies, and I want to thank you. Here's a quote from Paul Williams that sums it up for him, and I have one other quote uh, from Mr. Goals, who was a uh, Muppeteer. 
I think the story is about redemption. It's about awakening, and it's about that recognition that there is some. I would have to say higher power that you can direct your words to. I think that just to say them aloud, you begin to affect a change. Let us always love each other. Lead us to the light, and let us hear the voice of reason singing in the night. Let us run from anger. Catch us if we fall. Teach us in our dreams. And please, yes, please, bless us Bless one and us all. one and all. I think that's a fair thing to ask for. Uh, Goals had this to say. I think it really catches you off guard. I always find it emotional. The use of humor can really unlock emotion. If you're watching this picture and you're a little bit guarded and not quite feeling it, a joke, a little something absurd will throw you off guard and make you laugh. And the next thing you know, you're crying. Oh, and you guys are both crying. I'm not. A little bit. I'm a little, it's weird. I'm just kind of like on an emotional ledge right now. And I don't know if it's the season, if it's because I watched this movie last night and it super made me cry, if it's um, this fucking shitty year. Like, I don't know what it is, but... It's a good time to watch stuff like this. I'm glad. I, there's something. This holiday season's hitting way harder than it ever has before in my life. And uh, yeah, so I think it's it's like it's about hubris. It's about laughing our asses off and crying our asses off right around now. I think everybody needs to. Yes, I think so, too. We love you guys so much, and thank you for joining us on this journey. I yeah. hope you have a beautiful holiday as much Jackie, as Jackie, your can. sister's dead to me by the well, way so she, you can well, yeah. I'll write her up a, a fuck you card and yes send it you to can her. yeah send her an email at bad <laughs> at gmail.com um it's don't, weird she that doesn't exist that. she, she kind of yeah, knows that's so weird <laughs> email address for her um, just really put love you guys <laughs> and we will we'll talk to you guys thank you for joining us for this and being with us all year my name is jackie zabrowski you can follow me on instagram at jack that worm my name's Holden McNeely. Uh, I'm on <laughs> twitch.tv forward slash Holdenator. So you can check me in my tiny Fred every Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, and Friday night. I'll put my tiny Fred in a sandwich and I attempt to eat it. And I never can. Uh, check us out. Patreon.com forward slash page seven podcast. Check me out at triage. I'll be performing the ropes. Uh, in the corner of no, the room, they won't. light me on fire, and I perform the ropes while you You're eat a liar, your uh, boy. not steak. We said see a later, boy. While you eat your not steak dinner, which is like this weird meat they just created for the restaurant. I hate LA. What's going on, Natalie? What you got for me? I just want everyone to know I never take the piss bag. <laughs> I don't ever do. I'm proud of you. See, I always take the piss bag, but that's just like more for me because I like to hear them slosh around in my back seat. Oh, that's cute. Um, you can follow that's me fun. at Natty Jean and uh, follow us at Page Seven LPN. We. Love Love you guys. We'll talk to you soon. Bye, Bye, everybody. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.